Okay, so John chapter three. Whoa, here we are. Uh, back to back, uh, in, in moving along, and we've gone through chapter one, chapter two, which were very loaded chapters. There was so much to go through there, and 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 of course, that's really true of every chapter. You know, there's just so much great information, so much great, so many great things to learn and to understand. Um, but uh, we're gonna jump right on in. And uh, uh, we'll we'll start with verse one. We'll just we'll take it verse by verse in this first section. Um, and he says, "Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one would perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him." And there's a couple of things here that I want to unpack and share because I think they're significant. Um, and again, what we're what we're focusing in on is things that help us to know who Jesus is. We're not trying to focus on everything because there's there's so much there. Um, as, as you can see, that when we slow down, what the, it's, it's kind of like the slower we go, the deeper we go, or I should say, the deeper we go, the slower we go, because you can go deep, 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 deep. And, um, and, and we're trying to stick to things that I think are relevant for our purpose in this study, which is to know Jesus, which I think is the primary purpose of the gospel of John. So we're right on, we're right on, on track here. So he says there was a, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus. Okay. So, um, you know, right, right, right from the beginning, you, you, uh, 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 you, you learn a lot about the background just by who's being introduced. Uh, this, this is a Pharisee named Nicodemus. Um, Nicodemus, by the way, is a Greek name, which uh, that's interesting because he's a Pharisee. In Pharisees, for those of you who don't know, were the 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 religious guardians. They were the ones that were holding to God's word and. And they were like the religious teachers who were trying to help Israel stay on track with the scriptures. Generally, we think of them as the bad guys because most of the time when we go through the gospels, Jesus, if he's having an argument with somebody, it's usually a Pharisee or an expert in the law. That's not a Pharisee, but, but most of the time it's the Pharisees. So generally speaking, we think of Pharisees as a bunch of bad guys, but I do think it's important to note that that's, that's not how they started. They didn't start out as bad guys. They started out, really their party started, their group started back when um, when the Greeks were ruling the world. And of course, the Greeks had the philosophy, make the world Greek. And and so they, they, they kind of, they almost were evangelistic in the sense that they were promoting, not a Messiah, but they were promoting a culture and a way of thinking and a way of life. That was Greek, and um, they, they they wanted to Hellenize the world. Hellenize is, means to make Greek, um, and Pharisees were a reaction against that because what was happening? Well, Jews were were getting into the Greek culture. They were beginning to cut their hair like Greeks, dress like Greeks, uh, give their names. I mean, if you notice, there's quite a few names in the Bible of Jews with Greek names, you know, and. That right there tells you something, you know, and, and how popular it was. The Pharisees were kind of a reaction to that 
to stay close to God, stick to the scriptures, not violate the law. They were trying to be the faithful ones. You, you could, in one sense, you could call them a restoration movement, even though that's not, that's not the context we use that term, but that's really what they were. They were trying to stay faithful to God and his word. So the intention was good. Of course, you know, anytime you set out to do something, you can overshoot your goal if you're not careful, if you're not paying attention to what is God's will. And and there's a lot of groups in history that have set out to, to be God's faithful ones, but they weren't really listening to God. They were more about themselves and more about what they thought they needed to do than what they thought God wanted them to do. And of course, Pharisees were famous because they built fences around the law to make sure that nobody would get even close to breaking the law. And they had so many rules that that became basically thought of as the, the word of God. And you could sin, not by even violating the word of God, but by violating the traditions. And so anyways, so they, they're oftentimes seen as the bad guys, the guardians of the law. And so this one comes to, to name Nicodemus, who, who's a member of uh, it says Jewish ruling council. It's it's actually the 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 Jews who ruled. The Jewish ruling council was called the Sanhedrin. It was seventy leaders of the people. Most of them were actually Sadducees, but uh, there were some Pharisees in there. And uh, this and Sadducees was another group of religious leaders, but um, but uh, there were seventy of them, and they kind of ruled. Kind of think of it as as if you put all the the cardinals and bishops. And mix the role with senators and congressmen. And that's kind of what they were. They were kind of both. And um, it says he came to Jesus at night. And of course, that stands out right away. Why why, why at night? Why did, he, why did he come at night? Why not in the day? Well, of course, this is a member of the Jewish ruling council, a Jewish ruler, meaning that, that uh, you know, as a ruler, as a prestigious person, as somebody of of uh, high up in society, generally you don't go to the street preacher to get advice. You don't go to the street preacher to ask questions. Uh, but it also, it tells you a lot about Nicodemus, his curiosity, his hunger to learn, or, or at least to investigate, you know, his his desire to know more about Jesus. But he plays it safe. He goes at night. Not a lot of people are out at night. It's not like today where we have street lights and restaurants have lights and everybody's out at night. At night, in ancient times, people went to bed. So there wasn't a lot of people out and about at night. So this is the time that Nicodemus goes out and um, he comes to Jesus at night and he says, Rabbi, which is, you know, he's respectful. Jesus, uh, he calls Jesus Rabbi, which means teacher. That's what it means, but it's a title. It's like like calling somebody professor or, uh, you know, and he says, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Now notice, you know, he says a couple things. One is the signs, and we talked about signs. We talked about the seven signs. We talked about how Jesus did signs and things were called signs. Not just miracles, but signs. Things that show who or what something is, right? Um, And he's recognizing the signs. He's reading the signs. And he says, look, we know that you must from come from God because nobody could do these things if they weren't from God. So he he's smart guy. He's figuring it out. Okay, you know, the signs are all pointing to the Messiah, 
Jesus is doing the signs, um, and 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 there must be it must mean that Jesus is somebody incredible or somebody important. So, but but he's not so sold out that he's going to go in the middle of the day and be seen. I mean, he's prestigious. What titles does Jesus have? None. What what educational background does he have? None. You know, what land does he own? None. Does he is he lead an army? No. Does he build an empire? No. Is he, is he a ruler of a city? No. Is he? In fact, he's got zero titles. You know. And in fact, the one title that people want to give him, Messiah, he keeps denying it. So, uh, interesting. You know, the, the 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 so this ruler is is going to be very careful about being seen talking to Jesus. Now we go to chapter verse three. Jesus replied, "Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again." I love this because here this expert in the law or this Pharisee comes to Jesus who is a professor and he starts to talk to Jesus, you know, and he reckon and he first kind of butters up Jesus. Okay, I get it. You're powerful. You're doing the signs. I see the signs. I'm no dummy. I'm reading the signs. Uh, what exactly? And then Jesus throws out, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. What? In a sense, it's kind of out of the blue because if if you look at what he said, it said no one has ever come into no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the son of excuse me, back forward. Um, I'm gonna back up to the second. He goes for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. That's all he said. There's there's no question there. Jesus answers a question that has never even been asked. He says, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Nicodemus hears it and says, okay, ask the question. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to the spirit or to spirit. And so Jesus immediately begins teaching Nicodemus. Okay, there's the irony, you know, the one with no titles, no educational background is teaching the scholar, is teaching the one who's supposed to know. And, and you know, Nicodemus, he he's you know, kind of... I get the feeling there's a little sarcasm there. It's like, you can't go back into the womb. You you can't go backwards on this. How are you going to be born again? Uh, you can't go into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus says, he actually just says it more emphatically. I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and spirit. And he gives details, okay? Water and spirit. Now, this isn't a... Uh, a class on baptism, so I'm not going to get off on too far down the road on that. But you know, you got water, you've got, uh, and you've got the spirit, and we're going to understand later on. You know, the the baptism of Jesus would be water and spirit. You'd be baptized in the water, and you receive the spirit of God. This is like many times we see kind of a little a little appetizer of what's to come, a foreshadowing, a, a hint of what is to come. Not a full explanation, but uh, yeah, you'll see, you'll see. You're gonna. These are some of the elements: the water and the spirit. And he says, 
Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to the spirit. Okay, uh, the idea of being born again, actually the interesting thing is that, uh, you remember I told you sometimes there's words that can be translated two ways and they both apply, right? So the 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 word for born again, anothen, okay, anothen, is it could be translated born again or born above. Both apply. You're born from above, you know, not the not not the monohenatos, not the the one begotten, but you are born from above, and you're born again. And he says, if you don't do that, you're not going to enter the kingdom of God. Now, there's a whole lot in our world, in our religious world, discussion about this. You know, people used to say, are you born again? Or people used to call born again Christians, right? And and almost as though that were a certain kind of Christian. Like, are you a regular banana or are you an organic banana? You know, like that's a certain kind of banana that you are, a certain kind of fruit or vegetable that you are. And, and it became almost like a sect of Christianity. The truth is, Jesus made it very clear. Nobody's going to heaven unless they're born again. So if you're not born again, you're not going to heaven. You, everybody has to be born again. And, and there's no, there's no way around this. And it says, no one can enter the kingdom of God. Who? No one. Who's that? Nobody. Everybody. Nobody gets in unless they are born of water and the spirit. And again, like I'm saying, we're going to learn about that later in detail. But for now, we just call it baptism. All right. That, that is in baptism that you go into the water and you receive the spirit of God, just like what happened to Jesus. And in the same way, you know, Jesus, Jesus, when he was baptized, the spirit of God came on him. John, the John, the Baptist was the witness. So would his followers be in through the same, uh, same way. And he says, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to the spirit. So then we would just keep on reading and we're actually going to jump a little bit to verse nine. It says, and they they go back and forth and Nicodemus says, how can this be? Nicodemus asked. And he's really struggling with this. He's like, wait a second. I have been teaching the Bible my whole life. And now you throw this concept at me that I don't understand that you're saying nobody's going to heaven unless they do this. This is quite a curveball, and, and and you got to understand that that when we approach Jesus, and it's still true today, it's going to challenge some of your thinking. He's going to challenge the way you see things and the way you interpret things, and you've got to be ready for that. Because if you can't take a challenge to your belief system, then you're never going to get Jesus. You're never going to understand him. Because Jesus, yes, was love and mercy and kindness and patience, but he was also the truth. And the truth will challenge you. You know, and you remember the classic line from a few given, you can't handle the truth. The question is, can you handle the truth? Can you handle it when God tells us straightforward what needs to be done? Or, or do we choke on it? And this is, I mean, right here, Nicodemus is choking right here. He's coughing right here. He's trying to get this, and he's not getting it. He said, how can this be, Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, Jesus said, and you do not understand these things? I mean, Jesus totally flips it, and it's kind of it's kind of a funny scene because Nicodemus is probably dressed in really nice robes. 
he's probably got a Gucci robe and and Armani sandals and and a Halston, you know, Halston sleeves and I mean he's he's probably decked out. He's a Pharisee. He's a ruler of the Jewish people, a member of the Sanhedrin. And here's Jewish, I mean here's Jesus, this Jewish rabbi who 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 really is is from poverty. He's from Nazareth, you know, and his ministry mostly has been in Galilee. And now here he is, you know, and 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 facing this prestigious person, and he's rebuking him. He's like, "You don't get it. You don't understand this." And I'm sure I'm, I'm imagining Nicodemus is like totally like, "Oh my gosh!" And very truly, I tell you, he says, "We speak. <clears throat> we speak of what we know, <clears throat> and we testify to what we have seen." But still, you people do not accept our testimony. This this is a this is a big statement, and and it's bigger than this conversation because all of a sudden Jesus goes to we, which is really interesting because it was I and you and me, and all of a sudden it's if if I'm talking to one person and all of a sudden I go to you know we've been telling you this for years, all of a sudden I'm plugging into a much bigger conversation. Into something much bigger going on here, you know, and it's, you know, I people debate is the we the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit is the we all the Christians is the we the apostles and Jesus. I don't know, but basically, all of a sudden, he's 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 weing, you know, he's he's it's us. We have been telling you this, right? And he says, we have seen, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But still, you people, and I, who's the you people? It's the rebellious people. It's the sinners. It's the the ignorant who refuse to learn. Is it, you know, is it is it is it? It's, it's not just the Jews because Jesus is Jewish and the apostles are Jewish, or, or maybe it's the stubborn Jews who won't accept Jesus. That's that's a very likely scenario. But the, but there's a you people there do not accept our testimony. You know, and, and so it's it's kind of like, it's almost a little bit of, it could be a battle between the Jews who believe Jesus and the Jews who didn't believe Jesus. The Jews who accepted him and the Jews who rejected him. He says, um, and, and keeping in mind that this is written in the late 90s, by now, uh, in the Jewish community, everybody in a sense has picked their sides. There's the Jews who believed and became Christians and followed Jesus and the Jews who rejected Jesus, and they're going their own route. And there was a school called the School of Jamnia that basically was trying to redefine Judaism, but part of what happened in there was was a very strong anti-Christian um, uh, sentiment grew in that group, and they spread that throughout the land, so to speak, a hatred and a disdain towards the Jews who followed Christians. They were, in their minds, betrayed their own people. And so this may be reflecting a little bit of that, but there's definitely an us versus them going on here. And, and you know, we feel it as Christians. If you're a Christian, then you know sometimes it does feel like us versus them. It does feel like, well, they and them, and they don't listen to us and da-da-da. And so the good thing is you want to be on Jesus' side in this, right? He says, I have spoken to you of earthly, and that goes back to I. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? 
you know, which is really an, another really interesting point because, you know, we, we, people want to know, people want to learn, but they, they're oftentimes not prepared. We are not prepared for heavenly things because our mind is so earthbound and we think in such earthly terms. For example, you know, I talked the whole thing at the very beginning of chapter one, verse one about, about how that he could be with God and be God only in the heavenly realms, only in the spiritual realms. That doesn't happen in the physical realms. It's impossible. So if somebody is stuck in earthly thinking, then none of this makes sense. You know, and, and it even says it in the first paragraph that, that light has overcome darkness, but darkness has not understood it. Darkness doesn't get it. It just doesn't understand. You know, it doesn't make sense. You say something like it's more blessed to give. Darkness says, no, no, no. It's I'd, I'm much happier receiving than giving. You know, I mean, what do you wait for Christmas? The gifts, right? Not to giving people. But in reality, the real, what is real, which is the heavenly realms, what that's really what counts. It is more blessed to give than to receive. It is what makes a person happier is their ability and their action of giving even more than receiving. And, and ultimately that is what matters. And so these truths, these truths, Jesus later on talks about the secrets of the kingdom. These are things that somebody stuck in the earthly thinking is not going to get. But so he says this and he says, um, how are you going to believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the son of man. And I love this because, you know, he says, look, you're not going to get the heavenly things or earthly things. And then he, then he says, and again, here's another statement that kind of comes out of the blue. I mean, it's associated to the previous statement, but no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven the son of man. Now that term, the son of man, you know, this is, that's a tricky term. You don't, people, there's not a clear, oh, that means this, this, and this. I mean, you can explain it. You can show in Daniel and the prophets and, and how the prophets use that term. And, you know, when, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in the fire, someone who looked like the son of man, um, son of man was angelic, was powerful, represented God. Um, there's, 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 there are solid things in there, but it's not a solid uh, definition. There's definitely mystery surrounding the Son of Man. It's what Jesus referred to himself. It's funny because he didn't refer to himself, at least not at the beginning, as the Messiah. That was a loaded term that people already had in mind, you know, all kinds of things. It's kind of like, if, you know, especially if you're a Christian, you're a disciple of Jesus. A lot of times we'll we'll we'll, we'll say, um, yeah, uh, we have a group that meets in our house to study the Bible. We don't want to say church because a lot of people have a very negative view of church, you know, and especially people who've not been to church. Their only view of church is is from movies, and and you know, I always notice that most Stephen King movies have some church person, and they're a weirdo that everybody hates, and you can't wait till they get eaten by the monster or killed by the bat, the evil, because they're such weirdos, you know? And 
That's that's the image a lot of people have. So a lot of times as Christians, we don't want to even invite people to church. We want to invite them to a Bible gathering or a, a chance to study the Bible or a spiritual meeting or or a group at our house that it's a it's a book club, except the book is only one book, it's the Bible, you know. But but we feel kind of almost apologetic because of the weird images out there. And Jesus, you know, he stayed away from the Messiah term at first. He's the son of man. I love it because I bet a lot of people kind of scratch their head. Now, what exactly is the son of man? But he, of course, defined it. He says, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the son of man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. So, so he, he says, uh, he, you know, he, he's the son of man. And, says, and then this re- reference to, to Moses. And I love this because, you know, he's just boom, boom. He's just teaching. Boom, 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 boom. And I, I'm, I'm imagining Nicodemus's head spinning here. And he says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, you know. Now, if you don't know the story, you have to go back to Exodus and read it. But the story is when, when they were fighting and Moses lifted up the snake, the staff, and and this and every their their army started winning. But when he lowered his arms, they started losing. So Aaron and I forget the other guy would were holding his arms up there, and Joshua was leading the troops out there, and they're fighting, and they had to hold up Moses's arms. The word is hoopso. That's an important word. If you've heard my sermons, you've probably heard me preach on the word hoopso. It's an important word. So he says, the son of man must be hoopso, just like the snake was hoopso, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life in him. And hoopso, it's translated as to hold up, like, like you, you know, you grab something, you hold it up, to lift up, right? To, to uh, proclaim, to preach, to exalt, so that word is used again and again. Um, Jesus was hoopsoed when he was lifted up on the cross. Remember, he said, "Unless the Son of Man, when the Son of Man is raised up, he will draw all men to myself." So actually, he said, "When I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself." When he's hoopsoed, and everybody assumed that meant well, we assume always that it means nailed on the cross, and the cross was lifted up, right? It was hoopsoed. But then it can also mean that when Jesus was raised from the dead, he was hoopsoed. But it also means, and also the word used to describe when after he was done preaching and training the apostles after the resurrection, he was carried up. He was lifted up to heaven, right? But also in the book of Acts, it's full of references where the Christians, the apostles and the disciples, they hoopsoed Jesus. In other words, they proclaimed him. They held him up. So that's a big word. It's a big word. It starts, and it's right here. He said, when he's hoopsoed, uh, and, and everyone who believes in the same way, everybody who, you know, looked at the snake was healed or, or was winning the war. Everyone who believes has eternal life. And, uh, we'll close out here with John 3 16, which, um, you know, is, is a key verse of the whole book. And if you've ever watched an American football game, then you know John 3 16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. 
It's if you ask the average American, give me one scripture in the Bible, that's the one they would come up with because it's the one we've all seen so many times. Um, and uh, uh, the one thing I would point out with this is, uh, you know, when Jesus came, first he had to convince the Jews that he was the Messiah. They had to believe that. That that was an important step in moving forward spiritually was to believe that Jesus is the Son of Man, that he is the Messiah. And then they had to take another step, which is it's the same, it's the same uh journey, it's a journey of faith. They had to trust him, right? They had to trust Jesus. And then they had to, the next step I would say is they had to entrust themselves to Jesus. All of those are translated as one word in Greek, and that's pisteo. And that's the word used here. That whoever pisteos him, whoever believes, trusts, and entrusts themselves to him, shall not perish, but have eternal life. That is the first step. Forget laying down your life for somebody. Forget sacrificing everything. Forget giving up, you know, and, and contributing to Jesus, forget all those things until these basic things happen. The first and key step, and this was the big step. Once you make that step, everything else comes very quickly and easily in comparison. And and because, the, why am I pointing this out? Because there are other things required to be saved. You, you, have, to, you have to repent. And whoever doesn't repent will not be saved. You, you have to have your sins forgiven. And that happens in the cross, at the cross, but it's applied to you in baptism. And you have to live a new life. You have to live following Jesus. You can't be a hypocrite. You can't say you're a Christian, but you don't do anything Jesus did. That's a that's a hypocrite. That's just a hypocrite. Now, those things aren't mentioned here. There, there, there's nothing in there about that to have eternal life. Repentance or baptism or discipleship are not are not mentioned here. They don't have to be. Not every sentence has everything. And, and salvation isn't formulaic. It isn't one, two, three, four, and you're saved. There are elements to it. And it's important to, to respect each of those elements. The first one, you could say, if you were to put them in an order, just in terms of what do you come up with first, the obvious one would be to believe in Jesus, to put your faith in him. That would be the obvious one. So that's where we start. We start with... Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So believe in him, trust him, entrust yourself to him. Put your faith in Jesus. As we read, you're going to see how right he is, how good he is, how loving he is, how committed he is. You see him, you're going to see him better than you've ever seen him before. That that The response should be, I entrust myself to him more than ever. I put my faith in him more than ever. I trust him with all my life, all my heart, with everything I have, because I know who he is. So we'll end there. Thank you so much. It's great being together this morning. Don't forget to subscribe. We're trying to get our listeners to subscribe. Right now we're about half our listeners have subscribed. It'd really help us a lot if you'd go ahead and subscribe. Go to metrovision.laicc.net and hit the subscribe button. Love you guys, and we'll see you at the next study.